Welcome to The Rate Debate, a lively discussion from the champions of Australian fixed income, featuring Darren Langer and Chris Rands from Nico Asset Management. Hello and welcome to the 14th episode of The Rate Debate. I'm Darren Langer, Head of Fixed Income at Nico Asset Management, and joining me as always is my co-portfolio manager, Chris Rands. Hello, everyone. Well, it's the first Tuesday of February again, and that means uh, the RBA has just met. And well, Chris, it was a pretty lackluster uh, statement after um, the kind of last week the bond market's gone through and uh, we saw uh, an increased um, QE program from the RBA yesterday. The market was probably expecting a few more fireworks. Um, realistically, the RBA said nothing new. Um, what did you think? Yeah, so I think the market was expecting them to do a little bit more, perhaps, you know, include some longer bonds in the three-year three year yield curve control that they've been doing. Basically, they came out and said, we're happy with what's going on and we're going to keep it for, for what it is at the moment, which I think was a little bit lackluster. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if we've learned one thing over the last week, that, uh, you know, the, the bond route really started when um, the RBA sort of went to sleep, I guess, if nothing else. Um, maybe that's too harsh, but the RBA have just been really on autopilot um, with their QE program for the last few months. You know, we probably saw some positioning shake out over the week and we ended up um, seeing probably the worst performance of um, bonds in many a time, um, certainly um, ignoring the, the COVID-19 March performance um, early in, in 2020. You know, I can't remember a worse day in the bond market for some time. Uh, and that's, you know, having been around for a while. So um, it was pretty nasty. And, and you know, we, we really seem to have lost faith in central banks globally. What do you think sort of going on there, Chris? Yeah, so I think with, with the RBA, they've pretty much proven now that they're only going to jump in at, at the very last minute. So you can kind of look at how they dealt with their QE program. You know, we were complaining for, for months last year that they really needed just to start doing it and it took them um, basically COVID turning up back in Victoria for them to, to pull the trigger. So I think if you're going to rely on the RBA to step in and, and save the day, you need to be a little bit careful with that assumption. But if we do look at the bond route in particular and kind of just how far it went, typically the levels that, that I look at for how far 10-year bonds should go versus cash is once they hit about 2% over cash, they, they generally become what I think is relatively cheap to that level. And so for the RBA to be telling us that they're going to keep the cash rate on hold until at least 2024 is what they're saying, we basically hit those levels where bonds should be pretty cheap. So the market does look to be pricing in far more than the RBA is saying they're going to do, but they look to be attacking the RBA because they're not going to stand behind their policies to the extent that the market wants. Yeah, the market is really betting the RBA not sticking to its word of keeping cash rates on hold for some time. Um, you know, really they're talking about 2024, which is still a fair way away. Now, to, to be fair, we have seen quite a good recovery um, from the, the depths of the COVID-related uh, recession um, earlier last year. But, you know, we, we still seem to have a fair way to go. But markets are, uh, are reacting as if, um, you know, everything's fixed and, you um, you know, we're just going to suddenly go back to the good times again. Um, how, how, what's your assessment of, um, you know, what the economy looks like at the moment and is the bond market's fears justified? Yeah, so the economy is obviously looking probably better than we expected and probably better than uh, the RBA was expecting it at, say, six months ago. 
But if we think about the bond market route and we, we go back to that cash rate spread that I was talking about, over the past 10 years, 10-year bonds have struggled to go through 2% over cash. So if we say what would really kick this route on, it should be the cash rate potentially rising. So when we answer that, when we try and talk about that question of what is going to continue the bond market selling off, I think you need to be forecasting that the cash rate is going to rise sometime over the next two to three years. Now, as we said, the RBA is not forecasting that. Stronger economic data probably does pull the timing potentially forward, but without inflation, which we haven't seen at any point over the past 10 years, it's really hard to say that the cash rate is going to rise. So I think we, we, we throw this one back to you and we say, what's inflation doing at the moment? Yeah, I mean, inflation is the big bogey word. It's the, the thing that bond markets fear the most. We've seen probably in the last 10 years way more examples of imagined inflation than any actual inflation. And that, that's really the, the risk for bond markets to go higher from here. We've got to see real inflation. That, that's what central banks globally are now saying, that we're not going to accept people forecasting inflation going higher. We actually want to see it. Uh, one of the things I guess we, we, we still don't really know is what central banks mean by real inflation or, or you know, ingrained inflation. They say they want to see inflation in, in reality for some period of time. It's that period of time that we don't know. So is it one quarter of above average inflation? Is it two quarters? Is it three quarters? We, we still don't know. I mean, my, my guess is that they really want to see two to three quarters of higher than average inflation to be able to start thinking that they're going to cut, sorry, raise interest rates. But, you know, it, it's anyone's guess still, and I think that's part of the problem. The market doesn't really believe central banks will change their spots and that they'll wait for actual inflation rather than imagined inflation. Yeah, and it's probably, I, I guess, good to carry on that one and say, you know, how long is sustained? I, I actually think it should be a little bit longer than two to three quarters. I think you probably want at least 12 months before you kind of start feeling concerned about it, simply because they've missed their inflation target over the past five years. So they haven't had inflation consistently above 2% now since 2014. And for you to say, well, we only need to say it's two quarters to be sustained, it's, well, you kind of look at it and say, okay, you've hit two quarters over the past 30 that's not really sustained in my opinion. So I think they are going to have to be a little bit careful. And it's probably important as well to note that while the market is getting very positive on the idea of inflation, break-even pricing, which is the, the bond market's pricing of inflation over the next 10 years, is still only at 2%. So all this talk of reflation and the bond market is still only saying 2%. Yeah, and, and one of the things we, we've also observed, and one of the reasons markets keep forecasting inflation that never comes is that one of the impacts from quantitative easing appears to generate um, higher commodity prices. It tends to push some of the same levers that you know actual breakout inflation does as well. And, and to many people, that signifies that suddenly we're going to get this huge outbreak in inflation. But what really seems to happen is that when rates start to rise and people start anticipating that, you know, and they, they take QE programs off because they all think things are getting better. Suddenly we see that turn around and, you know, all that expected inflation just dissipates because it was really the impacts of quantitative easing, not actual price inflation as, as we would sort of think about it in a 1970s context. So the last week or so with bond prices rising, not only did we see that as a global phenomenon, it wasn't just 
Australia and New Zealand. But what we did see is Australia really underperformed globally. I think we were the worst performing bond market um, for the month. And, and, you know, it was probably a little bit surprising to us that we, we, we saw that. Why, why do you think, Chris, um, Australia has done so badly relative to the rest of the world? Yeah, so, so this is actually something that we probably should give a little bit of credit to uh, the, the head of multi-asset here who we're talking to this about. And, and I think the, the best way to frame this is to say that the market is attacking the weakest link. So when reflation comes, when inflation picks up, the, the bond route is really trying to pick off the central banks that they don't think is going to run their policies as long as they're telling us at the moment. And if you've listened to this podcast, I guess, over the past 12 months, you probably would have heard our frustration with the RBA that they haven't been doing enough soon enough. And I think those policies, that reluctance of them to do those policies is, is kind of coming back to bite them now. So, you know, we can think of this in a, in a few different examples. It, it took the RBA until October to actually start that QE program, um, whereas most other central banks started in April. They, they did less than other central banks offshore. Rather than kind of committing to a policy that's going to run indefinitely, they've, they've decided that they'll be rolling their policy every six months. And on top of that, it does look like with the yield curve control focusing on the three points that there is a little bit of incentive for them to try and finish this policy early. So, so when you throw all those things together, I think you, what, what you see is that compared to banks off the, the central banks offshore, the RBA doesn't look as convinced that these policies will be here to stay. And so if you're going to attack anyone on their QE and, and the reflation trade, you're going to go after the central bank who doesn't look like they're going to defend it. And so I think that's the big, the big deal with Australia over the past four weeks is that the market is coming after them. Yeah, I mean, to sort of understand the way QE really works is that people buying bonds at really low yields is not about the fact that bonds are really great value. It, it's more around the fact of government needs to issue bonds into the market the RBA doesn't want to directly finance those bonds, so it needs the market to act as a, as a conduit between the, the issuer of the bonds and ultimately the RBA. Now, to be able to do that, you have to have some confidence that central banks will keep yields relatively stable to allow that to happen seamlessly and without bond investors ultimately getting taken to the cleaners. What's sort of happened is that people are losing faith a little bit that the RBA is going to protect bond yields at these levels. So they're less willing to step in and act as intermediary between the government and, and the central bank in this instance. So QE in that world doesn't really work. And I think that's also been one of the things that's been problematic is that you know no bond investor is going to come out and buy a bond that they think they're going to lose money on. And that's really what interest rates going up is for a bond investor, it is a capital loss. Um, and, and, you know, that to me is, is really the crux of what happened is that bond investors have lost faith in the RBA's willingness to keep bond yields at a level that makes sense to them to be able to step in and act as conduit for that program to continue. Um, and I think, you know, unless the RBA does something about that, the government is going to actually find itself very hard to keep financing the larger deficits that it needs to finance. Now, there probably are some positives in that, We've actually seen better budget outcomes and things like that. So the amount of bonds that they need to issue is probably going to decline. But you know, if they really want to keep managing a QE program, there has to be some element of protection for bond investors to be able to continue to help in, in that process. I think as well, just to, to kind of flow on to some of that, there is also a little bit of confusion 
I guess, in my head on what it is the RBA is trying to achieve. You know, if you're doing QE because you think that the balance sheet size has an effect, well, they probably should just commit to that and extend the policy longer and, and kind of be done with the questions. Whereas if they think that it's lower yields that are helping, it, it doesn't quite make sense why you would target the three-year part of the curve and just watch the long end of the curve, you know, steepen to the highest rates that we've seen in a 3s-10s perspective in, say, 30 years. So it, it's not quite certain, I think, as well, what it is they're actually trying to achieve, which is, I think, why the market was kind of not completely happy with what they did uh, in their recent announcement by not changing anything because it doesn't really answer any of the questions that are hanging over them. Yeah, so that, that brings us sort of to the question then. So what, what does central banking policy look like that to us is a commitment to quantitative easing? Um, and, you know, it really comes back to looking at how the central bank reacts or sorry, interacts with the market. We've seen both with the Bank of Japan and the um, European Central Bank, they pretty much will buy bonds at a target level for as much as anyone will throw at them. They're trying to say to people like hedge funds and other investors out there that want to short markets that we will buy as many bonds at a price that you can throw at us. So it's, it's ultimately we've got much deeper pockets than you have. What the RBA showed, I guess, in the last few days is that they don't want to take on the, you know, for want of a better word, the bond vigilantes out there. Um, they're not willing to be the deepest pocket. So it, it sort of calls into question why are they doing QE? Because if you want to do QE, that's really the, the way you've got to do it, as we've seen in, in, in the Japanese and um, European markets. Yeah, we, we talked about this kind of through 2020, that a, a lot of the research that you look at for QE says go hard and go early. Don't, uh, don't wait six months to introduce your policy and then, then hope that it works. Try and get ahead of the market and do what you need to do. And I think when you look at the, the central banks that show the largest commitment that have had probably bonds perform the best, if it can be called the best in this period, is, is those central banks like the ECB in Japan who are willing to do whatever it takes. That's, that's what they've said in the past. And I think, though, you do need to look at their situation from an economic perspective and say some of those central banks don't actually have, a, have an option in this. So, you know, I've recently seen some articles again starting to pop up on, you know, here's the trouble that Greece is in, which means if they were to try and start to end their QE policies and those types of things in offshore, maybe they are looking at potential debt blow-ups that, that they can't resolve. So the RBA, for example, is obviously not in that position, so they don't need to quite be as aggressive. But if they wanted to control it like those markets, I think that's how they need to think. Yeah. The question to us, though, is that we're seeing strength in markets. We're seeing really good performance in risk markets. How much of that is actually the economy recovering? Or how much is it government stimulus and, and quantitative easing that's circulating cheap money through the economy? Until we actually see, I guess, a withdrawal or some of that stimulus, we're not going to know the answer to that question. We will start to get some of those answers in March this year and, and more of them throughout the, the next couple of quarters, so June as well, as we start to see some of the JobKeeper payments come out of the system and we also start to see the withdrawal of some of the bank financing that has, has occurred from um, the RBA. So we still have pretty big questions about whether growth is sustainable without that um, extra stimulus, but that will be the ultimate test. If, if we're wrong and growth continues on unabound, then we will definitely see higher interest rates probably sooner than we expect. But 
something we've seen, and uh, it was probably 2016, Chris, and several other times, we've seen these policies come through, we've seen them roll off, and we've seen an economy just roll over again and go back into the doldrums. So they're, they're the questions we're sort of looking at, or sorry, asking, and we're trying to look for signals for is this time different or are we just going to go through the same same sort of rigmarole as last time and end up in a malaise again? Yeah, and I, I think as well when we think about that, it, it, it becomes very hard from a timing perspective because if it is QE that's driving all this, then you're not going to get your signal that it's not working until they try and take it away. So it becomes a bit of chicken and egg of, of who's going to blink first. But from the market's perspective, at least, as long as these policies are on, it does look like that the reflation narrative will be the one that survives and there's going to be pressure on central banks to continue the policy if they don't think that it's as real as it looks. Tune in next month when we deliver our thoughts on the RBA's April rate decision and provide an update on what's been happening in markets. Until then, stay safe. This podcast was prepared by Nico AM Limited, ABN 9900337625 AFSL number 237563. It is of a general nature only and does not constitute personal advice or an offer of any financial product. It does not take into account the objectives, financial situation or needs of any individual. Any references to particular securities or sectors are for illustrative purposes only and this is not a recommendation. Any economic or market forecasts are not guaranteed.